I absolutely love the words that we just finished singing as we sang, I'll worship your holy name. It's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do want to worship your holy name and give you the honor and the glory that you deserve. As we spend this time together reflecting on you, Lord, as the focus, the object of our worship, we ask that you will help us see you more clearly and that we will become more impressed with you all over again. We also ask that you will be at work not only during this message, that your spirit will guide me and give me the words to say that will speak to every heart that's gathered here today. But, but I pray, Father, that you'll be at work through this entire series of messages. As we look at the subject and, and, and the topic of worship and what does it mean to truly worship you, we pray, Father, that we will learn all over again, maybe possibly for some of us for the first time, what it means to worship you with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. And Father, that we can truly give you the honor and glory that you deserve, that we can be those true worshipers that you teach us to be. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, today we're beginning a brand new message series entitled, Worship Reboot. And so as we're going to be dismissing our sixth through eighth graders to their class, the rest of us today, beginning today, are kicking off a four-week series on the topic, the subject of worship. And today we want to begin by defining some terms and laying a foundation for the following three weeks. Now let's first consider the plea of this message series, which is the call to reboot, okay? Now, our, in this series, we want to reboot our understanding, our heart, our practices personally and collectively of what it means to experience a church-wide worship renewal. Now, as a non-tech person, I understand the term reboot because that's pretty much the depth of my technical skills, okay? So if I have a problem with my laptop, if I have a problem with my smartphone or my smart TV at home, I, I typically just have one go-to, okay? And that's to turn it off and turn it back on, okay? Now, some of you are much more tech-savvy than me, but that's pretty much my go-to. And if that doesn't work, then I'm on the phone calling somebody younger than me, okay? Typically, my kids are someone from the church. So that's my two-fold strategy of reboot. Now, during this series, we want to at least push the pause button 
on our approach to worship and to have a reset. And for some of us, we might need to completely shut down our previous understanding of what it means to worship and push the restart to embrace God's call of what it means to be true worshipers of Him. So let's begin with a definition and and, uh, direction from a key Bible passage on this subject of worship renewal. This Bible passage is found in Romans chapter 12. So if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Romans chapter 12 or Bible app. You might want to find Romans and turn to chapter 12. It's also listed in the bulletin, and we do that so that you've got some reference, but also we've got a bunch of blank space there so that you can be writing down notes, if you'd like to, of anything that speaks to you from this message or any of our messages. Now, here's how this reads, Romans 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. In a passage that defines true and proper worship, what proper, true and proper worship is all about, it begins with an important word in the reading of this Scripture, and in fact, I think an important word in the reading of any Scripture, and it's the word, therefore. Now, as a student of the Bible and someone that truly wants to read God's Word in the context that it was written and the original meaning of the written text, I've always been taught that when you come across that word, therefore, in Scripture, you need to ask the question, why is it therefore, okay? And so, in other words, we need to understand what precedes that word, therefore, so that we can know why it's there for, okay? So, so let's pause and look at the context of this, this great book, this great letter, letter to the church in Rome. Now, before we read and examine this important passage on worship renewal, I think it gets a lot more powerful if we understand the context, and that's the way I think we should read all of Scripture. So, first of all, let's proceed with by just kind of understanding that Romans 12 is a pivotal point in a very long letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Rome that he had never met. Now, the Apostle Paul, we talk about him often here at Southwest, and one of the reasons why we do that is because he wrote 13 books that are included in the Bible. And if you look in the table of contents, you've got the Old Testament, which is a part of the Bible before Jesus came on the scene, and then the New Testament is Jesus' life going forward. And, and there are 13 books, or more accurately would be described as letters or epistles, that Paul wrote to various churches or early uh, Jesus followers, 
as he wrote to them, giving them very practical instruction of what it means to be a Jesus follower in this world. Now, some have wondered why are they organized the way they are in the Bible, okay? And some think that, well, maybe they're written in the order that they were, you know, they're listed in the order that they were written. But the truth of it is, is that Paul's letters are for the most part written, uh, listed in the order of the length of the book, okay? So the very first book or letter that you come across that Paul wrote in the Bible is Romans, and it's because it's the longest, okay? It's the longest book that he uh, wrote or the longest letter. And uh, in many ways, the first 11 chapters are an introduction to the Christian faith. You see, Paul had never been to Rome. Most of the letters that we read are letters that he wrote back to churches that he planted or that he had visited, and he's giving them uh, follow-up instruction, maybe some questions they had or maybe things he observed or things he's heard from other missionaries or believers that had visited them, but he had never been to Rome. And so in Romans 1 through 11, he just lays out in a beautiful way the Christian faith. It's probably the closest we have in, in, in the Bible to, at least in Paul's uh, uh, letters, of just kind of a systematic theology, kind of an overview of belief of what Christianity is all about, okay? And he had never visited them. So he's just laying out the Christian faith. And in many ways, it's like a starting point of hey, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is what a Christian believes. In many ways, that's what we do here at Southwest. We offer uh, regularly, monthly. Typically, it's the first Sunday of every month, but this, this month, we're going to offer starting point next week. And if you've never taken starting point, it's just an opportunity for us here at Southwest to share our core beliefs of what we believe what we think is, is the essentials and important things to understand about the Christian faith. If you've never taken that class, we hope you'll consider either next week uh, taking the class one hour and worshiping another hour, or just using that time in the class as you consider your time of, of being together with other believers in collective worship uh, for the week. And so we hope you'll make a note point. Maybe some of you say, well, I maybe need a refresher of the core beliefs of what the church is all about. You're invited to as well. Paul, so Paul's starting point with those in Rome was the first 11 chapters of Romans. And then in chapter 12, he begins addressing behaviors that are shaped by those beliefs. Some think that the therefore in Romans 12 verse 1 is pointing to all the core beliefs that he's shared in the first 11 chapters. And we're going to revisit some of those core beliefs even today in our introduction of this topic of worship. But at least we know that that therefore is referring to the section immediately preceding it as we read as a bridge between the beliefs and behaviors that Paul's describing or a bridge, if you will, between Christian theology in chapters 1 through 11 and Christian responsibilities or practices in chapters 12 through 16. And so here, 
is how he closes out Romans 11, beginning in verse 33. He says, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand His decisions and His ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give Him advice? And who has given Him so much that He needs to pay it back? For everything comes from Him and exists by His power and is intended for His glory. All glory to Him forever. Amen. Now, this is a great description of the God that we worship. And this passage is labeled maybe in some of your Bibles or on your Bible app as a doxology. Now, that's just simply a long, impressive-sounding word, which means an examination or an expression of praise to God. It seems to me at the end of this beautiful description of the Christian faith in the first 11 chapters, the writer just breaks into praise, marveling at the greatness of God, the wisdom of God, and the ways of God. In this context, we make our first observation about worship, and that is the focus of our worship is all about God. Because the Lord is worthy of all of our worship. The English word worship has an etymology or word history in which the word was pronounced in the past, worthship. It's hard to say that without sounding like you've got a lisp or something, but worthship, okay? So that, that emphasis of that old English word that we get our word worship is the emphasis on the focus that God is worthy of our adoration. He's worthy of all the worship we can muster in our hearts to give. Last Sunday, we had the opportunity to worship together in an outdoor setting at North Park. And we prayed and prayed and prayed that it wouldn't rain because we'd rented some, you know, some equipment. It was going to be an expense. And it was going to be like, wow, man, that's, we've really gone out on a limb here if it, if it rains. But God blessed us with a beautiful day. Wasn't it a great day if you were there? It was just awesome. It was, it was just hardly a cloud in the sky. Yeah, yeah. That was an answered prayer right there. It was just a beautiful day. And uh, we had almost 400 people in worship on a July 4th weekend, and it was great just in one collective time together, and, and, and I loved it. It was just a beautiful day. You know, we prayed so hard that it wouldn't rain uh, next year. And by the way, I think this is going to be an annual thing. Next year, I want to make sure we pray for a little breeze, maybe a little cloud cover, but I'm grateful that we had shade on the side, and it seemed like I was preaching to this side and this side, and there were five people in between, but, but uh, it, it was great. And, uh, but it was just great being outdoors, just marveling in God's greatness and His goodness. As mentioned earlier in Romans, when Paul unpacked the theology, he starts in chapter 1. 
And he says, forever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God has made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Sometimes we can approach the subject of worship without reflecting on the object of our worship or the object of our worship, and that is God. We can become distracted with our personal thoughts, our personal styles, our preferences, our hang-ups, personalities on stage, and we can lose sight of just being caught up in the wonder of the one that we are worshiping. This past week, my wife and I had the privilege to spend time with all six of our grandkids. Here they are. We love them. And we're so excited because number seven is going to be born later this month, or at least his mother is hoping he's going to be born later this month. July 30th is the due date. And we're, we're thrilled, a, a, a grandson. So the score is going to get a little bit more even, three boys and four girls. But you know, my wife and I love spending time with our grandkids. And this week, our daughter from Washington, D.C. and her family spent the week with us. And so we had time all week with little Jesse, 21-year-old, just a bundle of joy. And we had Christian preschool at our house. And we talked about the days of creation and how great God is. And we made little crafts with Jesse where we talked about the, the beauty of God's creation. We talked about the, how God created the sky and all the clouds in the sky. And then we'd go for a walk with Jesse and see the outdoors. And here he is. He just loves life. I told, told my wife, I just wish I could bottle up his joy and his sense of wonder in life and just drink from it every day. I mean, he just is full of joy. And when we go for a walk in our neighborhood to the pond, I mean, he just is enamored by the frogs around the pond. When we talk about the sky and the clouds, his eyes light up. Because everything for Jesse is a new discovery. He's just taken with the wonder of how great God is. I think sometimes we get so sophisticated that we lose sight of just being in awe of the God that we worship, being in awe of the creation that's all around us, that all points to the God that we worship. And my hope is that during this series, we can just recapture some of that wonder of the great God that we worship, the great God that we can know in Jesus Christ, the great God that we read about in the Bible, and, and recapture that sense of wonder that we see in the eyes of kids. So what is the motivation for this series and the call to reboot our understanding and our focus of worship? Because God is worthy of it. 
So let's go back to Romans 12. When we, we learn after the therefore that points us back to this, this bridge of praise before following all that good stuff, the, the good stuff about what Christian belief is all about. In Romans 12, 1, Paul writes, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. In view of all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, Paul writes, offer your bodies as living, a living sacrifice. It's important for us to understand that wholehearted worship is the only proper response when we understand that we are all sinners who have been forgiven or saved by God's mercy. It's very interesting that the writer uses language that would have resonated with those of the Jewish background who understood that prior to Jesus coming on the scene, that the people of God would go to the temple on a regular basis and make animal sacrifices in which they would bring a perfect prized animal from their flock, or they would, if they didn't have a flock, would, would buy and bring a perfect, unblemished animal, and then they would sacrifice it to the Lord by having that animal killed and placed before the Lord. Now, as foreign as that practice might seem to us, this is how the Jewish people understood worship. And yet, when Jesus came on the scene, He became the willing sacrifice, who died once and for all for all the sins of all the people that have ever lived on this earth or ever who will live. This is how it's described earlier in Romans, in Romans chapter 3, back to that theology part of the book. In Romans 3, Paul writes this, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did it through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Isn't it good news to know that Jesus becomes the once and for all sacrifice for sin so that we no longer need to bring or offer animal sacrifices? Because Jesus' death on the cross is the full extent of God's mercy shown to all of us. So out of gratitude for all that God has done, in view of His mercy, what are we called to do? Attend church once a week and sing four or five songs, listen to a message, and take communion, right? Now, that's how many of us approach worship. But that's not what it says. That's not the proper response. Oh, you might say, well, you're saying don't come to church anymore. No, that's not, that's not the point. But if we think that's the response, if we think that's worship, 
in its entirety, we've missed the point. This is what he says. He says, no, we're told to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What does that mean? Well, in the past, when Jewish people would come to the temple in Jerusalem, they would bring a lamb, a goat, calf, a bird, and they would leave a dead carcass at the temple. Yet for the follower of Jesus, we are called to place our own bodies before God as a living sacrifice. Not simply making an appearance in a house of worship, leaving something, but instead, it is a living, ongoing posture of worship. Some have suggested that the word body used by Paul is to communicate our whole selves. I think there is truth in that. But I also think that this is a strong reminder that Christian worship is not simply something that we do once a week. It's not simply the hour we spend together in singing songs of praise, reading from Scripture, and taking communion together. Are those activities important for our faith and to refuel our faith and our worship of God? Yes. But they're not to be understood as the entirety of our worship. In fact, we sometimes expose our misunderstanding about Christian worship when we say we are going to worship, as we're describing, going to a Sunday morning, hour-long, or hour and ten minutes long, okay, time of worship. In fact, in recent years, I think we've confused this even more by relegating to worship simply the music portion of our gatherings. I hear people say, well, we've finished worship, now it's time for the message. Well, wait a minute, that's, that's, that's not a correct understanding of how the Bible describes worship. Now, is singing together something we're commanded to do? Is it important? aspect of our worship to God, yes, but it's not the entirety of our worship. Nor should we relegate worship to something we do with our voice, our hands, our minds, and our hearts. But Christian worship includes all of our body. Now, some of you are getting nervous because you think I'm going to start calling for dancing in the aisles, okay? And I've seen that done well in Haiti, by the way, and I'm not opposed to dancing, although you don't want to see me do it, okay? But, but that's not the point. The point is that we offer our whole bodies, our whole self to God in worship. This is how the Message Bible, which is a paraphrased version of the Bible, but sometimes we can get some great insights into reading this paraphrase. Listen to how the Message Bible reads, Romans 12, 1, verse 1. It says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. 
Embrace what God does for you. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. So here's my question for you. And the question for myself as I prepared for this weekend and for this series, are you offering your entire life to God? Are you offering your time with your family during the week when you share meals together and spend time together? Are you offering your time at school and your time at work your time in recreation at the gym or on the ball field, your time at interacting with friends or family in times of entertainment? Are you treating all that as an offering to God? Are you offering your entire body, your, your legs, your shoulders, your arms, your hands, your eyes, your fingers, your feet, throughout the week, not just on Sunday morning, but on Monday morning when you go to work, in the evenings when you spend time with your family, this week, Monday through Friday here at Southwest, we're going to have sports camp. And I, I want uh, Brent and Renee, if you would stand up, we have two individuals from base sports that are going to be leading us this week. Uh, in sports camp, we've got basketball, we've got soccer, and we've got cheerleading. We also have got a kindergarten kickoff, and uh, we're excited about having these two with us and them leading and directing us, and so pray for them, okay? And uh, pray for some of us who've stepped up to help, okay? Because my hunch is I'm going to have some sore arms and feet and legs by the end of this week, okay? Because I'm coaching basketball this week. So I've, I've been working on beef, Brent, okay? Balance, elbow, eye, follow through, okay? I've been working on that. And we're going to have a lot of fun, and we're going to do that, but all that is our worship to God. And so when I'm jumping, shooting jump shots in the back here this week, I'm thinking about it's worship to God, okay? That's the way we should approach everything that we do as followers of Jesus, whether it be weeknights with our family, late nights in front of the computer, with the websites we let our eyes look at, the social media posts we type with our fingers, our actions on Friday evening with friends, we have to ask ourselves, is all that being a worship to God? Is everything that we do throughout the week, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, are we viewing that all as a worship to God, seeking to please Him and honor Him in everything we do? Are you consistent in worshiping God throughout the week in a holy, pleasing manner? What, what has been your previous view of worship? Have you limited it just to Sunday morning? Have you limited it to simply the music or the praise of our time together in Sunday morning? Or do you realize that Christian worship is viewing your entire body as a living sacrifice offered to God? Do you need a reboot? I think some of us do. So we've looked at the focus of our worship. It's God. 
And we looked at, we've looked at the scope of our worship. And that's how we live out our life every day of the week, every hour of every day. But what should be the result of our worship? The focus is God. The, the definition is all that we do. But what's the result of our worship? This brings us to the second verse of Romans 12. When we read in the Message Bible the following. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in to it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you. Quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you develops well-formed maturity in you. So what's the result of, of worship? The result of true biblical worship is a life that's been internally changed by the Holy Spirit, by a holy God that we worship. The result of true Christian worship is a lifestyle that's been transformed by a Savior that we follow as His disciples. Early in Romans, Paul describes the beginning of this faith journey is being united with Christ in baptism. When he wrote this in Romans 6, verse 3, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We see consistently in Scripture that when, when someone has been moved by the gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that they are invited to be united with Christ through the faith act of baptism. It's important to understand that baptism along with repentance is the proper biblical faith response to the gospel. That's why we as a church rejoice and celebrate every time we have someone who responds to Christ in being baptized. This past week, Max Boko was baptized at Butler Springs Camp. And we rejoiced with Max and his family as he was baptized into Christ, beginning that new life in Jesus. I know that there's others here at Southwest that have been considering, contemplating, making that step of faith. You don't have to go to camp to make that decision. We're grateful for the kids and students that do go to camp. But maybe God just has been moving your heart to respond in that way as well. The promise for those who have been baptized in Christ is that they're clothed with Christ, that they have God's Spirit to continually transform them. As we read in Romans 8, verse 11, and if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. So back to our point of worship. So in view of God's mercy and all the promises of new life changed by the gospel and the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise is that the Christian can continually be transformed from the inside as he or she matures in their understanding of what it means to follow Jesus and live their life as a living sacrifice. You see, we're reminded, verse 2, Romans 12, do not conform 
to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We live in a rapidly changing world with many cultural issues being debated in the media and the judicial courts and in the courts of public opinion. How can we discern as Jesus followers what God's good, pleasing, perfect will is? This Bible passage reminds us it doesn't mean that we go with the flow. It doesn't even mean that we go with what we've always believed in the past. It means that we are to allow our minds to be renewed, that we are not to conform to the pattern of this world, but we are to continually go back to Jesus, the living Word, and the Bible, the written Word, to allow God's good, pleasing, and perfect will to transform us by the renewing of our mind. This is an ongoing inward change that God calls of His true worshipers. Sometimes I hear people say at the end of our church services, wow, that was a great worship service. And I typically think that they were moved by the music or maybe by the message or some piece of media that we showed. And although that's a good thing, my understanding of Christian worship from the Bible is that the real test of whether or not we're having great times of collective worship is that our lives are changed, that our lives are renewed. They're transformed to live out as living sacrifices in front of our family members, neighbors, and coworkers in such a way that God is truly glorified and that the risen Jesus is exalted not just on Sunday morning in our gatherings, but in each of our lives during the week, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. One way that we can keep this focus is to continually come back to God's mercy, to continue to remember the one who was willing to offer himself as a sacrifice on our behalf. I'm so glad that we don't have to bring to our gatherings an animal to sacrifice and to bring up here and to place on the altar. I'm grateful that we live on this side of the cross and this side of the resurrection. I'm grateful that Jesus was willing to die once and for all for each of us. And yet every week here at Southwest, as we take communion, as we take this piece of bread and as we take this cup, we're reminded that Jesus is our sacrifice once and for all. And yet, let's not just view this as a ritual, just something to check off our list of we've done this week. But let's reflect on the mercy and the grace and, and how great a sacrifice that was. And let's resolve in our hearts as we remember Jesus and His sacrifice. Let's be motivated, let's be inspired, let's be propelled and compelled to live our lives this week as a living sacrifice on display as a true worshiper of God. Let's pray together. 
Father, we thank you. We thank you for what a great God you are. We thank you that you are worthy of all of our worship. We thank you that Jesus, your son, came to this earth. He, he died for us. He, he is our sacrifice. Father, I'm so grateful we don't have to bring animal sacrifices anymore to, to roll forward our sin to the day that a Messiah would come, but we can just rejoice the Messiah has come. And yet, Father, help us in view of your mercy to live different lives this week, to be changed, to be transformed, to be renewed. Help us leave here realizing worship isn't over. It's just begun for the week. Help us live this week as living sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus, that you willingly died for us. It's in your name we pray.